Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through uh, 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me say this is another one of those unique days at Ashland. We call them unique. Um, we're always trying to do something to challenge our faith and make it hard to live out the gospel and come to church and those sort of things. And today, our neighbors next door, they have a gymnastics meet, and so uh, we've created uh, some fun in the back for our kids who can't go over there for their uh, classes today. So as you hear the noise, remember, it is fun that we have created for them, and it is great for kids to have fun. And so be thankful for the fun that they are having today as you try to zero in and listen to the Word of God. Just pretend you're at the beach. You know, when you're at the beach and there's always that sound in the background and it just sort of fades over time. Well, let's focus on the word of God and maybe that will fade. Maybe. So first Timothy chapter four, I'm going to actually uh, just read verse seven as we begin our time together. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Hear the word of Christ. Have nothing to do. With irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Oh God, I pray in a world where there is much noise all around us. And there are lots of silly myths all around. We would order our lives in light of your word. And we would seek to follow Christ according to his word. And today you would teach us what it means to apply our lives to your word in light of the gospel by the power of the spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, and maybe over a month now, Tom Brady, who's 43 years old, won his seventh Super Bowl. Now, even as a very loyal Peyton Manning fan, uh, I will admit Tom Brady is the GOAT. So I will confess that to you today. And I know that's hard for some of you here to believe that I would even do. But as the Super Bowl was approaching a few weeks ago, a lot of discussion came up about how Tom Brady keeps himself in shape. Like, what does he do to stay in playing form? And a few years ago, Tom Brady actually wrote a book about his workout and his diet. It's called the TB12 Method. And so a few weeks ago, I thought, man, Tom Brady and I are the same age. And if he can do it, you know, maybe I can do this TB12 Method and get in shape and lose some weight. I mean, if Tom Brady can do it, surely I can do it, right? And so I began reading through his diet and I began reading about a uh, natural, predominantly plant-based diet. And I began reading about consuming organically, locally grown, seasonal, whole foods and as much of that as possible. And about two sentences in, I said, I'm out. No burritos. No pizza, no fried food. I'm out on the diet. But what about the workouts? So I scrolled down. I started reading through the workout. And I first of all noticed there's a lot of this workout. Like right off the bat, there's like 10 exercises. I don't do 10 exercises in a week. 
I don't know if I can even do his uh, workout uh, in one day throughout my week. And so again, I, I, I'm out. And then I started reading about pliability rollers and biomechanically neutral positions. And, and I began thinking, this dude's a robot. Like, this, is, this doesn't make any sense to me. This is complex. This is hard. This is impossible. This is unappealing. There is nothing about this. I don't want to be miserable to, to be in shape. I, I don't want to pay that price. And the reality is, most of us, when we think about godliness, feel the same way. When we think about holiness righteousness. We feel the same way. That's not appealing to me. That's not something I want to take part in. That's too hard. And even when we talk about that in the context of the church, it's like reading through Tom Brady's workout. It doesn't make sense to me. There are words there that are complex and hard, and this is a difficult thing. And you see, The idea of godliness among Christians is a foreign concept these days. The idea, the concept, the pursuit of holiness, that is something in the life of most Christians that is foreign. And in a lot of contexts, Christian contexts, ironically, the word holiness is profane. You shouldn't even bring it up in Christian circles. That's a little too hardcore for Christians. Godliness, righteousness. Why would we even think about those things? We have freedom in Christ. And if you begin to talk about holiness, you're labeled a Pharisee, holier than thou, you know, some sort of religious fuddy dud. And there was a time, though, when Christians erred toward godliness, they erred in the direction of being holy. Now, Took it too far at times, but now that's called legalism, to drift toward godliness. And in our day and time, we drift and we err toward ungodliness, toward worldliness. And we like to call that liberty or freedom. And yet the Bible has a much different picture of godliness. A much more balanced picture of godliness. A a picture of godliness that is found in flesh and blood. And his name is Jesus Christ. And yeah, he does say, follow me. But his burden is light and it's freeing. And it's what we need to be godly. You see, one of the scariest things about godliness and holiness in our current context is this time... And I'm sure every generation has said this, but it seems as though in our day and time, it is this is the most convenient time to be ungodly. Sin is so convenient in our world today. It it is right before us at all times. And so if someone is going to choose to be godly, they're going to have to plow through some misconceptions. And they're going to have to be okay with being different. And they're going to have to be okay with with the, the stigma of what it means to pursue godliness. And what Paul will say here is they're going to have to work at it. Paul's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, who is planting a church. And there are all kinds of false teaching. 
There, there are all kinds of people leaving the church. They're mad at him for preaching the gospel. And Paul says, you're going to suffer. Pastoral ministry, Timothy, is about suffering. You are planting the gospel in a community. And the gospel brings about a kingdom at which the world is raging toward and alienated against. And so you're going to suffer. And so Paul says, I want you to suffer and I want you to preach. As you think about all the false teaching, he says in verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. We even read first and second Timothy and we realize in Timothy's day there were conspiracy theories. There were crazy stories. There were all kinds of things that church folks bought into. And he says, Timothy, don't buy into it. You preach the gospel. It's not worth your time. What should you do? Notice verse 7 continues. Rather, train yourself in godliness. The word train here means to exercise. It fits right in with what we're talking about, discipleship. It means to be disciplined. It means to follow Christ. It means to exercise, work out, train. And notice he says, train yourself for godliness. The word godliness here, it means godlike character. And it's actions that align with God's character. And he says, you have to work at that. You have to train yourself for that. You have to exercise. It's going to take discipline to do so. But even as we talked about last week, remember where righteousness always ends up? Righteousness always culminates in self-sacrifice. Jesus is the picture of righteousness. He does what is right. And so what does he do? He dies on a cross for our sins. And so then what does he call us to do in training us in righteousness? Take up your cross and follow me. So if you want to know what godliness looks like, there's a lot of pictures in your mind. At the end of the day, to be godly is to be Christ-like and it's to be selfless. And so he says here, Timothy, train yourself. Work out exercise in selflessness. Now we have to realize as we talk about godliness today, this is the end result of discipleship. We're talking about discipleship as a church. At the end of the day, we will be godly. We will be Christ-like if we're following him. But you've got to understand godliness is not a personality trait. Godliness in your life will not come naturally. And if you aren't disciplined at it, you will not drift toward it. You will drift toward ungodliness. And you will not drift toward selflessness. You will drift toward being selfish. And so there must be a heart change. There must be the power of the Spirit that makes us into a new person. But what Paul describes here is there must be a constant supernatural work where we are following Christ and we are abiding by His Spirit, where we are training in godliness. And so we want to ask the question today, how are we trained by the Spirit to be godly? How? What are the things that you do to train yourself to be Christ-like? How do you work out at that? How do you exercise to become a, a godly person? How do you condition your heart? How do you strengthen your muscles of faith to be a godly person, Christ-like? How do you do it? Well, we're going to summarize what we will call the spiritual disciplines into three categories. Three categories. Word, prayer, and gathering. 
Now, all kinds of spiritual disciplines fall, uh, flow out of disciplines of the word, disciplines of prayer, disciplines of gathering. But to be godly, Christ-like, you have to be engaged in the word, prayer, and gathering. You have to exercise in those contexts. You have to work out in those contexts. And these things aren't tasks. They are daily and weekly rhythms of your life that you engage in. They are patterns that you engage in. And as we talk about today, Bible study, prayer, church attendance, those things in and of themselves are not godliness. Bible study, prayer, church attendance do not equal godliness. You can do all those things and be ungodly. But those are things where we condition ourselves to be other centered. Those disciplines are the gym, the workouts, so that we lead to being selflessness. When we train and physically, there are patterns of diet and cardio and strength. And we should think about these disciplines in the same way. So first of all, the discipline of the word. As we think about Bible intake, and we talked about that last week. Disciplines of the word include reading, study, meditation, hearing, memorizing the word of God. This is where our faith is strengthened. We talked about last week, this is where our view of God changes. Our thoughts about God change. We see He is holy, but He is good. And so we trust Him. And so we follow Him in righteousness. We follow Christ in selflessness as we know Him in His Word. We see also the disciplines of prayer. This includes confession, lamenting, fasting, thanksgiving, request. Prayer in your life is the act of trust. If you are not praying, you are declaring, I do not trust God. Prayer is the act that says, God, you are in control of everything. And to the degree you are not praying, you believe you are in control. Prayer is the act of dependence. It is where our time in the word leads. God, you're good. So I trust you. It is where we give our desires to God. Just like Jesus. We say, let this cup pass from me. But you are good. So your will be done. Prayer is the act of dependence. We must be engaged in dependence so that our trust in God is strengthened. And then we have the disciplines of gathering. Church itself is gathering. We are the gathering in Christ. But to be the church, you must gather. There must be continual rhythms and patterns in your life where you are church. And we still realize we are in a unique time and there are many in our church who are still working that out with COVID and those sort of things. But there must be rhythms of gathering or here is what is going to happen. You are going to begin to believe you are alone in the world. You are just an individual in the world. You will not see the world is all about Jesus. You will continue to think it's about you and you will not be selfless to others. And so if you want to be a godly person, which all Christians long to be because we want to be like Jesus, you better be in the word. You better be in the word and you better see the story of, of, of this groom who loves his 
bride to give his life for her and bring her to himself forever. You know what that story does in the life of a husband? Produces godliness. He begins to see the story and he begins to love his wife as Christ loved the church. You know what that does in your marriage for a wife? Produces godliness. Because she sees the greatest joy of the church is to trust and follow the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. And she says, I'm going to picture that. I'm going to mimic that in our home by respecting my husband. And there's godliness that comes from that. If you want to be godly, you better be praying. You want to have godliness in cancer? Well, you go to God and you say, take this from me. I don't want this. But I know you're good because you've given me Jesus. So help me to trust you. And you can be a godly person, a Christ-like person who's walking through something as horrific as cancer. You want to be godly on the campus, in the classroom, at work. There better be patterns of gathering in your life where you're getting together and you're saying the world does not revolve around me. Look around this room. I'm not the only person who exists on the planet. We have exalted Christ. It is about Christ. And I've had to look beyond myself. And so I'm ready to charge into work, to charge into the classroom, to be on campus at one who, as one who does not think of themselves first, but thinks of Jesus and others. That's where godliness comes from. The word, prayer, and gathering. Notice Paul gives us a reason, verse 8, 4. Training, disciplining ourselves, working out in this way. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. He says, bodily training, physical exercise. It is good. It's good for you. But here, Paul is also alluding to the false teaching of the day of asceticism. And one of the things these folks would do, they would just deny themselves of physical pleasure, thinking it was going to bring spiritual enlightenment. And they were focused on denying themselves marriage and certain food. And and Paul says, okay, uh, physical discipline and training, it's good, it's okay, It's good mentally, emotionally, physically. Those things are good for you. But it's not godliness. Godliness is a value in every way. When you think about godliness, you shouldn't just think about the spiritual. You should also think about the physical. And godliness is good for the physical and the spiritual. And he also says, for this present life and the life to come. It's good for you now and forever. Paul says this, physical health is good, but it's not eternal. You can be physically fit and go to hell. And you can do a lot of good things with being self-controlled and disciplined, even as a Christian, and not be godly. You see, godliness is good now and for eternity. And so when you think about godliness, you, you cannot think... I will just do whatever with my body as long as my heart's right. It's all about the heart. It's between me and God. It's not about my body. That was the false teaching of the day that Timothy was even to attack. You know, holiness involves your body, right? Immorality is an act that you take part in with your body. Drunkenness is an act that you take part in with your body. 
And gluttony is an act that you take part in with your body. And if you are godly and if you are holy, you see that. And you want to use your body for the glory of God. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians when he says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. We only think about that in terms of, because the context of the passage, sexual sin. But if the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that has all kinds of other connotations, right? That's why Paul would say, I discipline my body so that I may serve the Lord. Interesting, right? As you think about how you're going to use your life, you have to think about your body. You sin in your body, but you also serve Jesus in your body. And so to be godly, to begin with, you have to say the eternal spirit of God, eternity has entered the present, even in this body. And I'm going to use this body to serve God. I'm going to be godly, which means I'm going to be sacrificial and I'm going to be selfless in this body. I'm going to risk and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give in this body for the glory of God. That's what it means to be godly. We care for the body from birth to death. Why do we do that? Why do we make a big deal at funerals and take care of the body? Because we believe this story is eternal and it's not over. And godliness means we see that not just at the casket. We see that in all of life. And so we want to be godly. We want to be sacrificial. And so we use our body for the glory of God, understanding this is an eternal story. Who enjoys athletic competition more, the athlete or the fan? Think about that, because some of you, I don't think, understand how that works. Who enjoys the sporting event? The folks in the stand with a hot dog? The beer, the drink, popcorn, miserable, out of shape, yelling, screaming at the refs, the coaches, no control over what's going on in the game, on social media, venting on your couch. Who enjoys that? Who enjoys athletic competition more, the athletes or the fans? Now, think about that. Because if you think about what it means to be an athlete and you think about what it means to compete on the field, you think about what it means to compete in the gym, on the court, you think about what it means to compete in all of those ways. The athlete is feeling the joy in those moments of a lifetime of work. And just to be honest, rarely are they thinking about your diet. Rarely are they thinking about you. They are feeling the joy, the pain even, the struggle of competing on the field. And there's great joy there. Even in loss. Sometimes you look at your favorite team and your favorite players and you say, they walked off the court and they weren't crying like I was in the living room. Why is that? They just don't care. Fire the coach. Well, it's because they just experienced what they were working out for. They just experienced, even in a loss sometimes, what they were training for. And they were equipped for. And they, they felt it and they understood it. And they experienced it. You see, when Jesus calls us to join Him in eternal delight, in self-sacrificial following of Him, taking up our cross, 
Many of us don't understand what that would be like because we haven't trained for eternity. We're not training for godliness. So when we hear him call us to godliness, we've been binging on Netflix. We're watching something happen before us that we're not even taking part in. We are glutted with the world. To even understand what's going on before us and to experience it, we must be trained in the Word. Too many Christians are focused on right now and things we can't control, whether it's struggle and suffering in our life or what it's go- what's going on in the world around us or on Facebook, social media. And we are diving deep into those things and we are worried and we are anxious about things we have no control over. And so when Jesus says, follow me and serve others, we, we're, we're like the fans screaming in the stands. We have no idea what's going on on the field. And we're mad and we're angry and we're frustrated. Many Christians don't have the pattern or don't understand the pattern of gathering. And so they are isolated and they are conditioned to think only about themselves. And so there is no eternal good happening in their life because they're not training for it. They're not working out for it. They're not exercising for it. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, follow me, let's play the game. Now, I don't want you in the stands. I want you to come play the game. I want you to feel the pleasure and the joy and the struggle and the toil. I want you to feel eternity now. I want you to know what it's like to live as a kingdom citizen now in the game. We're we're shoving popcorn in our face. We have no idea what that would be like. We don't want any part of it because we're flabby in the faith and we're out of shape. We don't want any part of following Jesus according to his word. It's too difficult. It's too hard. And so when people begin to think about godliness. Oh, that would be like me playing for the Dallas Cowboys. That is absolutely impossible. Godliness, holiness. I know some of you that's a shock to you You say, oh, you could play for the Dallas Cowboys. I see it. But. But that's what it's like for some of us. It's far-fetched. That ain't happening. And why? Because we have a steady dose and diet of the world. And we are consumed with what the world tells us will bring us joy. And Jesus says, no, take up your cross and follow me. But to follow him, you're going to have to train in godliness. You're going to have to be in the word. You're going to have to be in prayer. And you're going to have to be gathering. Notice he continues, verse 9, this is a trustworthy and deserve, uh, statement and deserving of full acceptance. Meaning, you should stake your life on this, is what Paul says. Notice, for this end we toil and we strive. And it's interesting, Paul uses athletic language here. It means to work and labor to the point of exhaustion. The picture Paul paints here, the toil, toiling and striving... It is a picture of the runner who has given his all and he has run to his last breath and he is about to cross the line and he's not giving up and he's going to give his last ounce of energy to finish the race. He says, you labor and you strive in this way. Why? Notice this. This is so important to understand what we're talking about when we talk about godliness and spiritual disciplines, because we have our hope set on the living God. Now, remember, we talk about this often. Hope isn't wishing. It's not Disney World upon a star that may or may not happen. 
It is you are waiting for the kingdom that's already yours to come. You already have the kingdom and you're waiting on it to come to you. You're not wishing it would. And you have your hope set on the living God who is going to bring you this kingdom. And notice he says, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. He says the living God revealed to us in Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. He's the only one who's died for sin, raised from the dead. He is the only one who can save anyone. And yet he has set his love on those who believe to save them and they experience salvation. And he says, if you have trusted Jesus and you are following him, you have a hope that you're waiting for. And that is the source of your godliness. You see, a lot of times we we would we act differently than what we just read. Paul says we strive for godliness because we have the kingdom. Too often you're striving for godliness to get the kingdom. Notice we have this hope. We're waiting for this hope. The living God is going to give us this hope. We have been saved by the living God. And that's why we strive for godliness. The gospel must be the power of godliness in your life or you're going to be worn out and you will never be godly. No, you strive to live in the kingdom that's already given to you. You're not earning the kingdom. You're living as a kingdom citizen now. You're embracing what is yours. So how do you do that with the disciplines? First of all, as you think about the word in reading the Bible and in taking scripture. How do you do that in light of the gospel? How do you embrace what is yours in the discipline of the word? Well, first of all, reading your Bible, studying your Bible, memorizing, being in the word cannot be a task. It's like looking in the mirror every morning. When you get up and you get out of bed, you go look in the mirror you have to see, what am I working with today? And for most people, it ain't good. It ain't good, right? You look in the mirror and you say, this is bad. And so what do you begin to do? You get to work. Some of you should work a little harder. But we, we get to work. To make it look better, right? And we look in the mirror to see what we're working with. We look in the Bible to see what we're working with. It is a mirror that we hold up. And when we first come to the Bible, it ain't good. Because you're a sinner. And you've fallen short of the glory of God. you, you You can't look at it any differently. That's who you are. It's telling you the truth. It's right there in front of you. And yet Jesus gets to work for you. And you see what you're working with in Christ. What are you working with? My sins have been forgiven. (laughs) I don't have to live in guilt. Yes, it's true. It was bad. But in Jesus, he died for my sins. I'm forgiven. He's been raised from the dead. I have an eternal kingdom. He lived a righteous life. I see it there. That's what he's given me. And the bad news turns to good news. 
And you begin to live in that, that story. That's what Bible, that's what being in the Bible is all about. It always leads us to Jesus. For the Christian, it's always good news. It's always telling a story of hope. It's always telling a story of redemption. We run to Jesus. We find Jesus by faith so we can follow Him and trust Him. That's why we dig into the Word. How do you pray in light of the gospel? Well, prayer is experiencing the gospel. We said we've said before J.I. Packer's quote that adoption, being adopted into God's family is the highest privilege of the gospel. Well, prayer is the highest privilege of adoption. Prayer is you saying, I am a child of God and I speak to God as my father and he's good. And so how do you how do you pray in light of the gospel? Well, you realize because of Christ, God loves Jesus more than anything. And I'm in Jesus. He loves me more than anything. Anything I bring to him is in a context of love. All my requests. I know you love me. Who else would I go to? You've proven in your son that you love me with an eternal love. Who else would I bring my request to? And you you control every molecule And you've declared in Jesus that you are for my greatest good. And so I come to you in light of the gospel. I'm not coming to you as a task. I'm not coming to you. Are you happy with me? Are you happy with me? I got up at 5 a.m. I read my Bible. I'm praying. Are you happy with me? Are you happy with me? No, you're coming as a child saying, I have to speak to my father. I have too much on me. I have to go to him. I have to go to the one who loves me in light of the gospel. You can't forget the gospel in prayer. You must delight in the gospel. You must experience the gospel in prayer. What about gathering? Gatherings where we experience the gospel, our identity in Christ. If we're going to the Bible, we're asking, who does God say that I am? In prayer, we're experiencing who God says we are, what he thinks of us. And then as we gather, we experience this identity together. We are witnesses together. This this gathering today is a declaration to the forces of darkness that Jesus is Lord. We gather here around the gospel to say we are the Lord's people. We are a witness. We are the sign in the world of heaven to come. And so I gather to remind myself of heaven. Because I am I'm so fixated on my problems now in the temporal what's going on on earth where sin And death and pain and suffering and despair. And I get fixated here and I have to come here and I have to look around this room and be reminded of heaven. Because I won't be alone in heaven. I won't be left to my struggles in heaven. Alone. No, heaven is about Jesus who's king. And gathering and delighting and serving Jesus with others together forever. And so I remind myself that through patterns of gathering. We are the sign here pointing to there. We join the game in Richmond to the finish line in glory. And that's the story we tell every week. And I have to remind myself what I'm a part of. You see, godliness must be gospel work, word, prayer, gathering. It's all about the gospel. Let's not leave Jesus out. Because as many of you know, Ashland Health Nuts, it's a new support group that began this week. I saw it all over Facebook. Chad Bischoff. Because as all y'all health nuts know, and you would teach us, we'll give you testimony time next week, that you can do right exercises with great effort and harm yourself. 
If you have bad technique, bad form, too many reps, all of that stuff. Well, you can also engage in every spiritual discipline and harm yourself. If it's not about Jesus, you'll end up being an ungodly jerk. You can read the Bible, and if it's not about Jesus and it's about you, you will become self-righteous. Look how many Bible facts I know. You can even go to prayer and it be all about you. You can stand before God and say, Jesus, this is what I want. You better do it. I'm not going to trust you if you don't do what I want. Don't you know what I want? Why ain't you done it yet? Let's go. It's all about you. It's not about trust. You can even come to church and it's just about getting another attendance star week after week. Are you happy? I came to church today. I even listened intently and took notes with a lot of screaming kids in the back. Aren't you happy with me? Well, if it's not about Jesus, you're working really hard, giving great effort, and you're harming yourself. Because here's the reality. You don't have enough in you to be godly. And you will hate godliness if it's not about Jesus. This week, a friend of mine showed me a video of Tom Brady. He's making a milkshake. And I thought, if there's something I could drink and eat that Tom Brady drinks and eats, it would be a milkshake. But it was nothing like the the glorious, classic McDonald's chocolate milkshake. And I'm sure it wasn't as good as McDonald's milkshake. And I realized as he began to drop the ingredients in, like, this is a $300 milkshake. <laughs> like, he drinks this three times a day. I would ha- it would take me a year's salary to drink that in a month. Ain't no way I can do that. And then I, I, I was looking this week, and I saw where LeBron James... He spends $1.5 million a year on his health. He has personal trainers who follow him everywhere he goes. Every game, before and after every game, he gets massages and he has workouts. He has his own personal trainers. And I realized this week, I don't have enough time and money to be in shape, if that's what it means. I don't have enough time or money. And that's the same way some of you feel when you think about godliness. And you think about godliness in Jesus. You say, there's no way. There's no way I can be godly if a bloody cross is the picture of godliness. There's no way I can be godly if perfect sinless righteousness is what godliness is. And if that's the way you feel, you're in a great place. You're in a perfect place. Because the fuel for godliness isn't being Jesus. It's trusting Jesus and being like Jesus impressing pressing in to the fact that it is his cross that has become your cross by faith. Pressing in that it is his righteousness that has become your righteousness by faith. And when you know that and you know that is godliness, it makes godliness a delight. Not like some nasty powdered up milkshake. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted, a, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory. What do you need for godliness? In the gospel, God has given you the power. He's given you everything. And what does it look like? Notice He says, through the knowledge of Him. Knowing Him in the Word, in prayer, in gathering. That's godliness, knowing him according to his word that we apply our lives to in light of the gospel. Knowing him. 
Isn't that a more appealing workout? <laughs> 